Macarion to Stokes, who's onside. Wagner! Here's Sims to put Stokes this from Southampton. They could finish the job here. It's Shane Long, and he has done it! Just a minute to play. That's stoppage time. Here's Letizia! Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 61 of the Saints FC podcast. Uh, This week, um, first of all, I'll be catching up with Freddie from the Ugly Inside as we caught up with each other over a pint before the game uh, on Friday night. And then we'll have a a little bit of of an old friend back on the show as Tom Parker back from his wedding and honeymoon exploits, joins me as we discuss Saints' recent fortunes and a look forward to the rest of the season as well. Hi, Freddie. Um, I'm just, I've gone for a, uh, just gone for a, a, an amp style, you know, keeping this it larger. Is, this is almost sort of like a tradition now, isn't it, on the yeah. Saints FC podcast, we're asking what we're drinking. Yeah, what, what are you drinking? I, I'm currently drinking the, the Maltsmiths, which is quite a hoppy, sort of a, a cold, actual... Ale, yeah, if you like, off the draft, and um, it's refreshing, yeah, most and foremost. That's all that's what we need for match day, don't we, mate? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so I mean, unusually for the Saints FC podcast, we're recording pre match. Mm. Um, when this goes out, you know, the, the result will be known, we'll mm. either be sat in despair or you know. Dancing the dancing around the fact that we've pretty much ended the Premier League in terms of the relegation <laughs> battle and the title battle. Yeah. What 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 are our chances tonight of us actually getting a result against Liverpool and, and really denting their title hopes? Well, wouldn't it be such a sweet victory to be? Yeah, it really right? would. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, after all that's happened, and this is this this is their year, though, isn't it? Right. That's what they keep saying. Um, isn't every year their year? <laughs> it's it's, it's going to be different. I mean, the, the the whole thing that I love about the fact that all these players have left Southampton and gone to Liverpool to win trophies. Mm. Not a single one of them have won a trophy since they've left. Not even the I, League Cup. No, I mean, I, mean <laughs> I would genuinely love it if we can keep that record to, yeah. to still be the same. I mean, tonight, I mean, we're, we're full of confidence, though, aren't yeah. we? You know, back-to-back wins within a three-week break. I mean, this 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 little chat has the potential to sound incredibly stupid. But, I mean, if you look at it statistically, we haven't done three wins in a row in nearly, what, three or four years? under Since Ronald Koeman, in fact. Okay, yeah. You know, so if we managed to beat Liverpool, not only would it be sweet, but we'd also, uh, you know, stop their chances of winning the title. And it, would, it would see us safe, like you said. And we can go into this game with no pressure. Yeah. You know, like, like we've been saying sort of on various different reports all week. This is a free hit. I mean, yeah. I don't like saying that phrase, but it is a free hit. We've got a cushion above the drop, the drop zone, and we've got nothing to lose. And I think, you know, if you're Ralph and you're in the changing room right now, you're getting the players hyped up for the mm. game, you know, what, what are you going to be saying? Are you going to be saying it's a free hit? I don't imagine Ralph Hasenhutl says that sort of thing. I no. think he, he sends them out feeling like they need to win points in every single game. Is it, it, I mean, is, 
is there a little bit of risk that we start to take our eye off the ball? We're, oh. we're not safe yet, are we? No, not quite. I mean, I had a couple of comments, actually, truth be told, on our, on our match day, uh, match build-up show. You know, despite us saying this is a free hit, we've got a, a, a cushion between the drop, the drop zone, but we are still fighting relegation. Of course, there is a little element of fear. I mean, there are a few teams that aren't playing this weekend because of FA Cup duties, mm. Brighton in particular. But, you know, it's five points, and we've got a favourable run-in than the other teams around us. Cardiff, Brighton, Burnley all had to play three, at least four, of the top six in their running. Liverpool is the only team in the top six that we've got to play left in the top it, it, until the end, end of the season. Wolves, you know, next weekend's going to be tough as well. They're flying high, but everyone else, we almost expect almost feeling a victory because of our confidence at the moment. No, we're winning games, we're playing good football, we're being direct, and finally we're seeing the philosophy that we all know and love yeah. once again back on the pitch. I mean, should, should we just talk about that? Because, you know, regardless of the result, I don't think the Ralph Hassan Hootel loving is going to stop, but mm. it really is a loving at the moment. I mean, what is it about about Ralph that, that you love right now, <sighs> Freddie? It's so romantic, isn't it? Um, we should be recording this on Valentine's I Day. Know. I, I can it's see that you've gone all glossy <laughs> eyes, Freddie. <laughs> I don't know. Is that the beer talking? I don't yeah. know. We haven't had many yet, uh, only until we, we win tonight. But um, Ralph is doing everything that we that we want. Yeah. You know, we, we saw none of that under Mark Hughes. We saw no opportunities for Hughes to, you know, uh, interact with the fans. I mean, the first week in, Ralph bought us all a beer. Yeah. You know, I mean, truth be told, my voucher came late. I couldn't, I wasn't able to <laughs> redeem it. And then I couldn't redeem it because I was doing other things before the West Ham game. I mean, good for the club for, for moving the voucher over. But, you know, stuff like that is what really it really gets the fans on side. And, and, and Mark Hughes is almost sort of like this robot. Yeah. You know, he almost tactically on the pitch as well, he was robotic. We almost sort of predicted the substitutions that, was gonna, that were going to happen. But Ralph, he's got more things to him. You know, he's got more options and he's got more things in his locker. You know, we've been playing this... Five, three, two, five, four, one. You know, yeah. it, 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 despite it being the same formation that Mark Hughes played, we see more uh, potential under Ralph. Um, but even so, we do play the three, four, two, one, or whatever. Yeah, we've also got the four, two, two, two yeah. in the locker as well. Under under Mark Hughes, it was almost sort of, oh well, that's it then. Yeah. Well. Well, what should we do now? I don't know. Let's just roll over and concede another goal. Concede another late goal. Are we two new up? Oh, yeah, let's go for another goal. No, that's all right. Let's, um, you know, let's sit back and invite the team yeah. in, <laughs> into pressure. I, I, I mean, it's just been so transformative under Hughes and uh, since Hughes, sorry, and under Hassan Hootel. Um, and I think maybe the game which typifies that the most is is our away victory to to Brighton. I mean, how did you feel? in that game with a lead 1-0 I mean were you expecting Glenn Murray to score or, or did you believe because the players I think they do believe now don't they yeah absolutely they, they all believe in in the manager they all believe in their process they all believe in their responsibilities nobody knew that under Mark Hughes and obviously it was a, a little bit of squeaky bum time mm. against Brighton last weekend but you know they, they didn't they never really threatened and I suppose I mean I can slightly disagree with that comment but 
I think the game that really typifies it is the game before. Tottenham Hotspur at home. Yeah. I mean, how many points have we won from losing positions before that game? Um, like one or two, is right? Is this a quiz? <laughs> I don't know the answer. Because that was the first time we won a game from a losing position in almost 18 months, 24 months. Is it seriously that long? Yeah, I mean, that's, so long. that's astonishing, isn't it? I mean, it? not only that, we beat another top six side. Yeah. I mean, we thought it was almost astronomical, almost sort of fantasy to beat Arsenal at home in his second game in charge, in his first home game, in, in fact. And that game really sort of set the precedent. We can beat Arsenal. This is only his first week in charge. Yeah. Who knows what can happen for the rest of the season? Yeah. Um, and I suppose... I mean, are we too are we too early to be thinking about next season? But I'm 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 really quite excited yeah, about. Yeah, me too. I mean, I, I don't think we'd have even kind of broached the subject on the podcast mm. of what life could be like next season. But Hassan Hooter has now given me that confidence to think that maybe we can start planning for a, another another you know season in the Premier League. Mm. I think we just signed a young Birmingham striker this week yep. uh, from their from their academy, and. I think if you're a decent young player around the country right now, you're probably looking at what Ralph has done in giving the academy players a chance. And you look at kind of like Callum Hudson and Doy, mm. who you know only got his first Premier League game for Chelsea uh, the week just gone. Yeah. Um, a Southampton exciting prospect again, you know, potentially for other players. I mean, if you look at it statistically as well, Ralph has picked up. I mean, this this is doing the rounds. Of yeah. course, everybody knows this by the time I say this. But it's twenty four points in sixteen games. It's one and a half points per game, which is, which will put us on average fifty seven, fifty eight points at the end of the season. That has been good enough to be challenging for Europa League over the last two, three seasons. Yeah. So he's building something here. We're all excited about it. You know, we're actually relishing the chance to watch Southampton again. Yeah. Under under you know, obviously before Christmas, whilst Hughes was here. I thought, oh, great, another game. Oh, what, how many are we going to lose by again? But we've got that confidence now. We've got that belief. The, and ultimately, the, that's the what mood has just totally changed, hasn't it? So much. Yeah. So much. All right, Freddie, can I get a, a prediction? We're feeling confident. Um, I mean, I said to you this off air, it's a head versus heart, isn't it? You yeah. know? Let's, let's start with the heart. And I'll say this you know, to the podcast that I put on a cheeky bet tonight. Saints to win and both teams to score at fifteen to one. And and how much did you put on Freddie? Just a pound. Just a pound. Just okay. A pound. So, so fifteen quid. I mean, it's not even going to cover the match ticket. But no, you know. well, it will cover the beers yeah, at yeah. least. Okay. You know, but um, obviously the heart, the, the head says you know a Liverpool victory, and and there's a reason why perhaps Saints are only eight to one just to win. Yeah. Um, I think both teams will score, but oh, I don't know, man. It's it'll probably be two one either way, and. Likely to be Liverpool, but yeah. uh, we won't we won't show that to them podcast. Right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, brilliant, Freddie. Great to see you again. And let, let's let's have a few more beers before this game starts. Thanks, mate. Cheerio. And I am absolutely delighted to say that we are welcoming back the man, the legend, the person who's been gallivanting around the world, getting married, having honeymoons, all that sort of stuff. Tom Parker, it's great to have you back on the show. How the devil are you? I'm really good, John. It's great to be back. Uh, absolutely delighted. I've had three weeks of wedding and honeymoon, um, uh, but I'm, you know, you can't have too much for good things. I'm very happy to be back in the UK. I'm very happy to be back talking to you. Are you suggesting that maybe being back in the UK and not out on a honeymoon is not is is not quite the same level? No, I'm just saying that they're different. You know, <laughs> okay. 
No one made me go to work on my honeymoon. But I can't grumble. No, I'm, I'm, I'm really well. Thanks, John. Really well. Okay, great. And um, I, I suppose I think kind of when you went off on your your wedding day was the uh, result against Manchester United, which was you know disappointing to lose, but fantastic performance from the Saints uh, boys. Um, and things have been going pretty well for Saints. I mean, we've had two games since um the last podcast episode and one of those was the victory against Brighton the other one uh, was the loss versus Liverpool uh just on a Friday night um should we start with the good one with the win yeah and a win against a bogey team with a bogey player that always does the same doesn't he great win yeah um, you know I think a lot of Saints fans were worried about this one yeah, I think so. And I wonder how many Saints fans maybe had a, a, a little bit of a flutter on Glenn Murray to score a last-minute winner against Saints. Because, I mean, it always seems to happen. But I mean, what's the difference that we don't have Wesley Hoot or, or Cedric in defence? Is that why we were able to kind of defend that le- that slender lead that we had right until the until the game was all over? I just had a shudder through my spine when I heard the words Wesley Hoot. Um, I think what was interesting, wasn't it? Because I think when you saw the team, you saw Vestergaard, you know, not there. Um, you know, Brighton are a very big physical team. I think that, you know, they'd score a lot of goals from set pieces. The two centre-backs often score goals. So you sort of feared from Saints, 4-4-2, and no Vestergaard. Bogey team, it didn't look good. But, uh, you know, the Saints did a very, as they've done a lot under Ralph, did a very professional job, didn't they? Managed that game brilliantly. Um, and a few of the players really stood out. I think Redmond really stood out. Um, you know, in particular, they just they just did a very professional job. Something that under Mark Hughes they never seemed to do today. No, I mean, I I don't know why. That I mean, a lot of things have kind of come out with some of the comments that players have been making about training under Ralph Hasenhutl that perhaps. Um, the atmosphere wasn't as professional under Mark Hughes in in total, and you know players weren't showing up to training on time and the training sessions were quite casual. Because I'd have thought Mark Hughes, you know, Mark Hughes played professional football until he was about 60 years old, didn't he? And he was playing for Saints at the end. And, you know, so you imagine Mark Hughes was someone who really looked after himself. Do you know what I mean? And was very professional. That's the impression I would always got, you know, compared to some of the, yeah, because there was a big drinking nice it wasn't there, like McClare and um, Bobby Robson, uh, sorry, Brian Robson and um, Paul McGrath, you know, at the time Hughes was there as a player. So you'd have thought Hughes would instill a similar sense of professionalism in his players, but obviously, well, maybe not. Yeah, I mean, it, that, that's probably... That, should we just not talk about Hughes? Because, yeah, let's yeah, right. I mean, sorry, it's there's, there's so many things that are like, really confusing about his reign. I mean, absolutely, the professionalism thing is is one. And, you know, that the kind of professionalism that Ralph Hasenhutl has brought in seems to be translating onto the pitch and and Saints did a a very very professional job um I I suppose as well if we're going to be talking about the sort of tactics and approach that Hasenhutl is using then the lineup and you, you kind of touched on that with Vestergaard um being out of the side was quite interesting it was quite a Hassan Hootel that we'd read about before he came to Saints and before he started working uh, with three centre backs, real, realizing our kind of frailties. But he started with that four-two-two-two formation. Yeah, and it's one that he they think he sort of 
they think he's ultimately working towards. But I think defensively, we've just looked so much more vulnerable with four at the back. Um, but all in all, you know, it was a very professional performance because they kind of managed Brighton. And Brighton didn't even really start the game until they went behind. Um, but a player like Bednarek, you know, had a great game. Redmond had a really strong game. Um you know, and we had a little bit of luck at the end with what could have been a penalty. You know, Brian hit the ball. You don't seem to have much luck. So, um, you know, really, really good result. Yeah, and uh, you've mentioned a couple of players there as well that I've wanted to kind of uh, mention as well. I mean, in the kind of brightest start, I thought thought Redmond and Armstrong both looked really quite lively and really quite likely to, to do something. And then obviously with the Hoiberg goal, we had that kind of interception pretty much on the halfway line. Um, and then Redmond bringing the ball all the way. But, um, pretty much, I mean, it wasn't so much up the wing, but actually fairly direct straight towards goal with Hoiberg on the overlap and a beautiful little dink pass from Red, Redmond to, to get it across to Hoiberg, who was kind of bearing down on goal and then finish the job with a, a lovely little dink into the goal. Yeah, I think well, it, it kind of, if you think about it, it kind of um, showed the best of the three players involved because you had Hoiberg with a great tackle to win the ball back, Armstrong with a lovely first-time pass with great pace on the ball to Redmond, and then Redmond's, you know, very driving, very purposeful run towards the centre of the goal, and then finding the pass, and then Hoiberg just these lung-busting runs, you know, that he does. Um, you know, we'll talk about the uh, the Liverpool game, but it was another one of them in the Liverpool game for the Saints goal. These sort of real everything he's got, every sinew of his body straining to to get up there. And I, I remember when I watched it, I just thought, yeah, he wants that more than any of the Brighton players. He wants that ball more than any of them. And you know, it was a great finish. It it was it was, it was I mean, let's use that word again. It was very professional, wasn't it? I mean, there was no panic. <laughs> Uh, one of the things that always I mean I don't know when the last time you played football was Tom but if you do do a lung busting run up the wing if the ball does come to you if if you're being in full flight I mean this happens to me I don't know if it happens to other people but I'm just kind of guessing it does but your your heart is pounding there's blood rushing all around your body and your your clarity of thought does go you know it it takes something quite incredible or quite an, an interesting level of fitness, I suppose, or professionalism to actually be able to have a cool head and know what to do in that, that situation. So I find if I've made a massive run up the wing and I suddenly get the ball at my feet, I, I kind of panic. My control isn't as good. My, you know, everything kind of goes wrong once I'm knackered. Yeah, I think it was a surprisingly... Well, it was a very clever, very good finish. I think I was, a lot of people were surprised by the quality of the finish. Hoiberg's maybe not a player you expect to, you know, to show that level of quality and a difficult chance of one-on-one in the box. But, yeah, he did it. He did it. And I think if you just... If you, I think he has been the difference, hasn't he? Like, he, he's been pretty good all season, to be fair. He was good under Hughes. Um, but he just he just drives that team onwards. And you're a captain at 23... You know, he could. He, you know, if, if we can keep hold of Hoiberg, he could. He would stay at Saints, and he'll be our captain for many years to come. Yeah, I, it, I mean, I, I absolutely love Hoiberg, and I think, yeah, the performance he put in um, against Brighton, yeah, was was top draw. It was kind of top captain material, wasn't it? You know, we got a captain who 
looks like he's willing to, you know, die for the team, as, yeah. as it as it were. And of course, I, I suppose the most important thing about that all is that it actually brought us onto level points uh, with Brighton. So they stayed a little bit ahead of us because of their goal difference. But that now, or after uh, that day, that had three teams, including Burnley, all on 33 points. And Cardiff, who I'm maybe going to go as far as saying is we're pretty much cheated in that game against Chelsea. Yeah, it was terrible, um, that Chelsea. And now five points behind. And obviously, since uh, since that Burnley had another win at the weekend, things. Are, I mean, that game was so inexplicably important for Saints' survival chances. Let's say we haven't won that. Brighton would be on thirty six points uh, along with Burnley, and it would just be us, the only team, kind of dangling in front of Cardiff, tempting them to to overtake us and they would have been within three points of doing so. Uh, and actually having those extra two points um, cushion above them, you know, even if Cardiff do get a weird result and, and win a game, there's still more points to catch up. And also, you know, looking at it now, Cardiff's goal difference is, is 16 worse than ours. So that's another point. So in reality, we're seven points ahead of Cardiff. And it makes you think as well, you know, we've lost two games against Cardiff this mm. year. Um, if we'd have drawn those two games, I mean, I know it's sort of all being hypothetical, but they'd have four fewer points. We'd have two more points. We'd be 11 points ahead of them. This would all be academic. Yeah, I I think when when we kind of get to our end of season podcast and, and the review of the season, how we managed to lose two games to Cardiff will be fairly high up the list of if it, yeah. kind of like picking over the bones of of the kind of worst parts of the season. Um, I mean, in terms of our fixtures, I I think we, I think we look okay. I think we're going to pick up a few more uh, results. Um, yeah. So I, I'm, I'm just going to read those out to you uh, yeah, go on. now, Tom, and then you can maybe kind of like give a shout of what, what you think might happen in these games. So we've got Wolves at home next Saturday, which we'll come on to in more detail later in the show. We've then got Newcastle United away. Yeah, quite a tough fixture, but... Well, I think until... Newcastle lose a home at the weekend. I think they... Newcastle have won their previous five home games in a row. Mm. So they are very strong at their place, but they do see... They, they, a lot of people say now they might take the foot off the gas a little bit. Now they're sort of safe. Yeah. Um then we've got okay. our midweek clash away to Watford, who are riding high after their semi-final win over Wolves. Yeah. And you would hope as well with that, the play, you know, sometimes when players get into cup finals, they kind of take their foot off the gas a little bit because no one wants to get injured, no one wants to get suspended. Yeah, and, um, and then I think our last three fixtures, I'm going to say they're all totally winnable. Bournemouth at home, West Ham United at the London Olympic Stadium, and then Huddersfield at home on the last day of the season. Yeah, I mean, like you, you have to think that Bournemouth and West Ham will be on the beach by the time we play them. If they're um, not already. If not already, I mean, well, Bournemouth certainly seem to be, and as as to West Ham, um, and and then yeah, Huddersfield. I mean, that is, but the problem is with that one, isn't it? That's one of those stupid ones where Huddersfield relegated by a long way, then put the performance of their lives in, but. In, the, like in their swan song in the down. Premier League. Yeah, you'd hope, on hope, it's not going to come down to that last game. No, 
no, I, I, I would expect us to kind of be be safe by then. So, I mean, looking at uh, Cardiff's fixtures, they've also got some pretty winnable games. And for them, the next two games are totally key. Um, so we may have to be kind of supporting some of our other relegation rivals because they are away at Burnley on Saturday. I think if Burnley win that, that's kind of the end of any chance of Burnley being relegated, although they, you could argue that they've already kind of done that. Um, and then they have Brighton away. So they, Cardiff got two big away fixtures there where they could potentially get points. Then they've got Liverpool at home, which I doubt they'll win, but weirder things have happened. Car- uh, Fulham away, so that could be another three points that they, they could, could get win there. that, yeah. Crystal Palace at home. Again, they could actually win that. And then Manchester United away. So actually, Cardiff have got four winnable fixtures in their last six. Yeah. I mean, I, I think a lot of it depends on this Burnley game. You, you can imagine that... I mean, if Burnley get another win, that puts them on 39 points. Um, I think that makes them safe, win. yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's still a lot to play for. But Saints have... You know, they seem confident and they, they've got quality. Um I think the problem is we've got a lot of games that are quite unpredictable, haven't we? Like Watford away, could easily lose that. Newcastle away, could easily lose that. Yeah, and then all of a sudden, the pressure is going to be on us um, to, to get points. Um, you know, so who knows? Wolves at, Wolves at home, that's winnable, but Wolves are a really good team. Yeah, I mean... So, I mean... It, who knows how they're going to be feeling after that FA Cup semi-final, but they may feel like they've got some sort of point to prove. Mm. Well, yeah, I mean, if you look at the table now, Wolves are at eighth, so there's a, they've got, a, uh, you know, they're on equal points with Leicester in seventh. So um, with a goal difference, just one worse off. So they are a very good chance of being, you know, best, I hate to say it, but you know, they're best of the rest thing. Mm. Um which would be an incredible achievement for them. But, you know, we owe them one because we were terrible at their place uh, earlier this season. Um, absolutely awful. Um, so you'd hope upon hope that Saints uh, can just do it again, a professional job and get a result against them. Yeah. Ooh. I'm starting to feel nervous now. I think this section of the show was supposed to kind of like make me feel quite confident that we're going to stay up and, you know, it was, it was all just about picking up a few points. But having looked at Cardiff's, Cardiff's fixtures, it's not outside of the realms of possibility that they could be picking up another 10 or 12 points um, this season, which suddenly makes, you know, that, that kind of target a little bit harder. I, I suppose what Saints really need to do is get two more wins out of there. As the yeah. final fixtures, um, and I think if if they do that, that should be enough points. But you know, if Cardiff go off and beat Brighton and Burnley, then it, it may even take more than forty points to be safe. Yeah, definitely. And I, I think Cardiff. I don't know. I can't look out with Cardiff whether they're going to be so downcast after you know. Let's not mince words after being cheated. Mm. Uh, by the officials in the in the game against Chelsea, there's two ways, isn't there? They can go about it. One is they're really downcast. Uh, another, you know, they've had a lot of terrible things happen to them this season. Mm. Um, uh, you know, obviously some way more terrible than others. Um, and you you wonder if they'll even be downcast and dejected, or Neil Warnock being Neil Warnock will foster a kind of us against them thing. And if I had any money, I'd 
bet it on being the second one. Yeah, yeah. All right, I, I think we need to move on from Cardiff because it's just making me feel a bit nervous, which <laughs> um, then brings us on to Friday's game uh, against against Liverpool. Now, Tom, I've got a bit of a challenge here, and I actually don't think it's going to be possible, but we're going to try and do the reverse match of the day. Oh, yeah, well, we, I, so I've not seen this match today, but I hear we just... We'll, we'll... We won't even mention where we're No, so I mean, obviously, throughout the highlights when they're talking about stuff that's happened in the game, they obviously mentioned Shane Long scoring because they showed the footage of it. But when it came to the post-match analysis, say after the highlights been shown, there, I I didn't detect one single mention of Southampton uh, in that whole whole kind of post-match analysis although someone did say on twitter that they may have mentioned southampton once as in like Salah went past a southampton defender but but that was it there was there was nothing about how southampton made it an interesting game or you know we're on top for most of the match or really put liverpool under pressure it was all all about liverpool it was so infuriating to watch um you know from from the southampton perspective so apart from when we're talking about stuff that you know, I, I suppose kind of the highlights if if we can go go through this whole thing without mentioning Liverpool once I think that would be quite a, a quite an achievement we'll do our best are you up for the challenge Tom I'm up for the challenge okay I, I don't know if it's possible or not but we'll, we'll see how we go so um I mean first of all I have to say that I thought Saints started absolutely fantastically. So we went back to three at the back for this game, which I think is probably wise considering uh, the oppo- the opposition team's front three. And, and you probably want to match that because you wouldn't want to leave any of your players isolated with any of those three guys. Um, but, I mean, not, not only that, just from the outset, we were pressing, we were pushing, we were holding onto the ball. There were some brilliant quick exchanges between our players the concentration levels seem to be really high the energy levels seem to be really high and we started off well and we started creating chances immediately yeah it was it was clear wasn't it that they'd been sent out there I think the crowd helped I mean John you were there was the atmosphere as good as it, as it looked um well, I, 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 the atmosphere sounded very good from the northern. I've got to say, in the chapel end where I was sat um, with my brother, brother-in-law, and father-in-law, there were so many Liverpool fans, kind of in disguise or perhaps neutrals, that I don't think. Oh, really? Yeah, I, I think it did actually affect the atmosphere. I mean, the chapel isn't exactly known for its kind of overexcited atmosphere in, in games, but. When Saints scored uh, early on, the reaction from the crowd wasn't as big as you would have expected it to be. And I remember kind of kind of looking around and seeing, you know, blank faces rather than faces of total joy and enthusiasm. Yeah. Interesting. Well, yeah. I mean, I did read on Twitter a bit about that, but um, about about away fans in the... Uh, in the sort of home end I think the Saints were so good weren't they? they were so pumped and I did I think that that's his best team isn't it maybe with Ings up front instead of instead of Shane Long that's his team isn't it that's the team he wants to play week in week out this 5-3-2 and you can just sell the energy levels and I, you know Ward Prowse just snapping in to every tackle as soon as Liverpool I mean it said everything that they forced Klopp to change the system yeah, yeah, that that tells you everything about how well Saints played up until 
at that point. And yeah, I think if we'd been up against a less imperious defender than Virgil van Dijk, we'd have, you know, we might have been able to get a second. Um, but, you know, credit where credit's due. We spoke about long-busting runs earlier. Hoiberg for the goal. It's a fantastic run from deep. It just causes absolute chaos in the Liverpool defence because they just don't know what to do. Do they go and track him? Do they leave it? And then it was a it was a surprisingly calm, measured finish. It was such a calm, measured finish from Shane Long that I was half thought that someone must have blown for offside. <laughs> well, you, you thought like he did it so coolly that he couldn't have, um, yeah, that it, it couldn't be real. Well, I mean, well, the, was, the, yeah. the interesting thing about Shane Long having all of that space and all of that time right pretty much in the six-yard box was, you know, as you said, it was about Hoiberg. Um, you know, the, the ball was played beautifully out from the back, Bertrand Cross, you know, bring it up, up. But Hoiberg's lung-busting run meant that uh, Virgil van Dijk had to follow him. And then Hoiberg did the in- in- inexplicable thing and actually beat van Dijk to a header, flicking it on perfectly for Shane Long, who was at this point unmarked because Shane Long's man, VVD, had had, had to chase after Hoiberg. It, it, I, I mean, I wondered if it was something they'd worked on on the training ground. Hmm. Because it just seemed to be very... Because the ball in from Redmond's a weird ball. Because yeah. he kind of chips it. You know, you know, it doesn't really hit it with any pace. He kind of just dinks it towards Hoiberg. And the only thing Hoiberg can possibly do with the ball at that height that's got no pace on it whatsoever is flick it on. Yeah. You know, like, he can't turn the pace on the ball into a, into a goal-bound header. So yeah, I wonder if it's something that they'd worked on. Because I think the only way you're ever going to get anything out of Van Dyke is... To almost trick him, do you, yeah. do you know what I mean? Like, because he, he's not going to make a mistake. Well, the... Talking about him like he's some sort of robot, but he just doesn't. He's not going to make a mistake. No, although he was, you know, pulled out of position in the, in this uh, in this instance, and yeah, left left Shane Long with well, a very very but, easy but, finish. But I think with that as well, you know, he was he's kind of less high and dry by his midfielders, so yeah. he kind of has yeah he doesn't have any he has to go with the man. But you know, credit where credit's due to Saints, it was a really good move um, and a really good finish. And you know, uh, Tony Cascarino on Twitter was quite interesting. He was talking about Shane Long saying that Shane Long's fourth goal, I think he said in seventy eight games, something like that. Um, you know, he just doesn't score goals. It's so strange, but when it's so strange, because he is such a good footballer, so it yeah. doesn't make any sense. It's, I, I can't believe that stat. Fourth goal in 78 well, years. Well, if you think that he scored twice last season. Yeah, I mean, it's quite a, a long time, isn't it? But twice he, this season. But he does seem to score goals against Liverpool, so, you know, maybe we should just persevere in all, all those games. Um, so following that goal and... Uh, delirium in the parts of the ground where Saints fans were actually were kind of sat or stood um, and then what happens is we nearly go 2-0 up and uh, again you know it's in some ways quite a similar attack it was a very quick break and then a cross coming in uh, once again from the left now Shane Long here I think in in most occasions you'd expect any striker to put the their foot through the ball and just finish it and blast it into the net. Shane Long doesn't sort of air kick here. And I've got a theory as to why he did this. He knew Virgil van Dijk was behind him and he knew this was probably the best chance in the history of the universe for Virgil van Dijk to score an own goal 
um, <sighs> giving Southampton a, a, a goal in front of the Northern men. I, I think that must be why Shane Long left it. It's because he knew that, okay, if he scored a brace against Liverpool, that's great. We all go into delirium. But how much better, how much sweeter would it have been if it had bounced off Virgil van Dijk and actually gone into the net rather than just over the goal? I mean, it, it would have been really something. I think that would have been in front of the Northern, wouldn't it? Yeah. Which would have been real bants, as young people would say. But yeah, I just think with Shane, he seemed to almost like take his eye off it. Um, and he just sort of thought, that's the chance. that That's the chance Danny Ings would have buried. Mm. Um. You know, but it's it just sort of took us off it. But that's, you know, I know we don't want to talk about Liverpool, but that's the difference, isn't it? The difference is, it's like they can call off, you know, off like if their top strikers missing, Sturridge comes in. Yeah. Yeah. You know, if our top strikers missing, like, well, it's quite interesting. Charlie Austin can't get a sniff at the moment, but um, it, it just shows the difference. I felt sorry for Shane Long as well. Yeah, I mean, it's, that was absolutely gutting because. I mean, getting a brace against Liverpool so early on, it it would have just been absolutely fantastic. And I think it would have had Liverpool at absolute panic stations as well. Yeah, um, I'd agree with that. Which may or may not have been a, a good thing to do because, I mean, as the second half wore on, they started to look a bit panicked at 1-1. But, you know, you imagine had we had them 2-0 two, two up or 2-1 then I, I think they really would have started panicking and maybe committing too many men forward and, and leaving themselves quite exposed. Um, but yeah, so the first half continues. Um, the th- so I've got to admit here that I actually missed Liverpool's equaliser. So, I mean, you, we all know Freddie from the ugly inside. So I met Absolutely. up with Freddie for a drink before the game and he took me to a brewery near St Mary's. And... I had a drink there called EXP2, which I think stands for Experiment 2. And so by by the point this kind of like midway through the first half, my mouth had gone really, really dry from this weird beer that I'd, I'd been drinking with Freddie. And I also desperately needed a wee. So I kind of ran down and then heard this kind of like faint cheer. Um, and I wasn't I wasn't sure if it was a kind of an ironic cheer because the referee had given us something or if it was something worse. And then obviously I walked out into the stadium and I could see that it was 1-1. Yeah, I think, you know, people... Salah was offside, you know, first and foremost. And people was... That makes me laugh because I was, you know, I, was, I was watching something and they said, you know, there's, you know, he's just offside. It doesn't matter. Offside's a zero-something. You know, mm. you're either onside or you're offside. And it is frustrating because, you know, big players, big clubs, they get these get these marginal calls and not even the marginal ones. Like, you know, we spoke about Cardiff, Chelsea, they get yeah. the huge ones wrong. Um, and, you know, he was offside. And it, even then, it's a very unlucky goal. Because if you look, he actually heads it into the back of Vestergaard. Yeah. Um, but typical, isn't it? Like, you know, Cater not scored for Liverpool this entire season scores his first goal Salah longest run in the history of you know mankind <laughs> scores a goal it's like oh, it's always Saints yeah I, I mean it, you, you touched on the point there that basically the Liverpool equaliser shouldn't have stood um, in the build up Salah was offside uh, there's a little bit of fault I think for Saints players maybe being too focused on you know why hasn't the offside been given rather than actually really focusing on what's going on in the there and now not playing to the whistle um, but, but Saints did seem to kind of stop. Yeah. Um, 
which was a bit weird. Like, because I think they thought the ball had gone out or was going to go out, I think. And they kind of just stopped. And I don't know whether they just lost their concentration just for half a second. Yeah. I mean, maybe they kind of like stopped in disbelief at the officials. But I mean, we've had so many bad official decisions. You'd have thought they could just quite easily take that in their stride. Yeah, Um, 100%. One of the things which I found quite interesting is um, uh, a friend of mine who supports Liverpool watched it on on the telly and say he had the benefit of the studio analysis. And they, they talked about VAR and they said that VAR wouldn't have ruled out the goal because there was another phase of play after the offside yeah. and the build-up. Now, th- th- that just seems like a really weird rule to me. Or is it a case of we've just got kind of pundits that have played for the big six teams or played for Liverpool in this case, and therefore are just trying to argue the toss on it going in Liverpool's favour? Or is this actually genuine? Because it just if it is genuine, and you can see from the kind of build-up that there definitely should have been an offside and therefore the goal shouldn't have happened. Yet you would still allow the goal because there was another phase of pay. It's like one of those kind of weird British rules where if you bring evidence too late to the courtroom, it can't be considered, even if it proves someone's innocence or innocence or guilt. It's like, we don't care what the actual right answer is. We just want to make sure that the process and the rules have been followed to the book. I agree. I mean, it's like with offside where... Um... Similar vibes to when people play the ball forward, and uh, the guy who eventually scores the goal is offside, but the person who receives the ball isn't. They then run on, cross to the bloke who was offside when the ball was played. Mm. He scores, and they say, "Yeah, that's totally fine," because he wasn't receiving the ball in the first place. And you know, like, and it's just a weird decision. I mean, at the end of the day, Salah have been flagged for offside, like he should have been that ball wouldn't have been crossed in and Case right. would have scored that goal. It's it's quite simple. Um, but I feel, you know, just you just feel that no one really knows what the rules are anymore. Well, I mean, um, for, for what should be a black and white, I mean, an offside decision is very, very easy to explain, but the uh, active players, inactive players, were they impacting on the play? You know, the, the whole kind of like interfering with play, if... I can't remember. Was was is there kind of like a Bill Shankly quote where it's kind of yes, like if a player's not interfering is. with play, then what the hell is he doing on the pitch? You know. Yeah, completely. Yeah, it's a great quote. I was about to say exactly the same thing. Yeah. Um, I think it, I think it is Shankly. So yeah, I completely agree. It was just a very, you know, it was. I think there's a number of things. I do think he was offside. It was close, but he was offside. And then I just think we kind of stopped concentrating. Um, and Kate, you know, just I don't know. I just, I, you know, Vestergaard was seemingly on his ass for some reason. I don't really understand it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Bit of a disappointing goal to concede. It, it, it was disappointing. And, it, you know, it looked like um, Gunn might have got to it as well on, on, on another day. Anyway, roll forward, second half. Um, and Saints continue to do well. We continue to limit Liverpool to not very many chances. Admittedly, we don't create too many ourselves. Um, but Saints are frustrating the opposition. They're keeping the ball well. They're passing the ball well. They're pressing when they need to press. They're sitting back a little bit when they need to sit back and defend and soak up the pressure. And throughout the second half, I thought Saints were kind of continuing to grow in strength and in purpose. And then by the time we got a corner in the 80th minute, um, we really looked like 
we were going to push up and and try and try and score another goal. And ultimately, I think that was kind of kind of our undoing. It was trying so hard to actually get the winner against Liverpool that left us exposed uh, for the yeah. breakaway for, from the Saints' corner. I, I think Josh Sims received the ball kind of on the edge of the box and it was pinging around a bit and he was trying to make something happen with it when we lost the ball and then Liverpool broke away incredibly quickly. I was surprised that we left one man... Um back when you know that Liverpool's pace, all of them, Firmino, Mane, we all know about, and Salah, all incredibly quick. Mm. And I was just very surprised that we, you know, we'd, we'd, with the game finally poised, you know, we weren't losing, um, that we'd gone, we'd, we'd just left Ryan Bertram back, because they have, you know, arguably, probably, maybe Redmond aside, the three fastest players on the pitch. Um, so I was just very surprised. You know, it felt a bit, almost a bit naive of Saints. Yeah, I mean, it, it was quite a strange one. I, I suppose, I mean, you kind of have, you have that kind of like argument. It's like, do you leave the balance? Yeah, if you're going to leave too many players back, then they don't have to bring as many players back to defend defend the corner and they you know perhaps more primed for the attack but you're right their their players are so quick they are a side that are very good on the counter-attack and, and we saw that and and funny enough I, I think you know Bertrand despite being kind of one man against an onslaught I think of three or four players from the opposition kind of charging towards goal um, Salah obviously had Firmino up to his left and so Bertrand couldn't commit to Salah because then he knows Firmino is going to get released and he can't commit to Firmino otherwise he knows Salah is going to go straight down the middle and actually by the time Salah took his shot I think we I mean in the stadium I didn't think we'd kind of done enough and perhaps we should have committed to some sort of challenge earlier but actually watching the highlights back it wasn't a really simple kind of one-on-one finish you know he did actually have to work quite hard and it was a really really good finish and I don't think most strikers would have scored that chance yeah, it was a lovely sort of... It was almost like a pitching wedge, wasn't it? I like just dinked it past uh, Angus Gunn. But, I, you know, I just do think we, we gave ourselves a bit of a problem. They've just got so much pace all over the pitch. Even though, you know, their full-backs are incredibly quick. Um, but to be fair, you know, we're talking about bad things here. Saints limited um, Liverpool to five shots on target. Um not many teams have done that. And if you look at how well like Yoshida played, how well Bednarek played, you know, how well Vestigar played, they all played really well. And I can't remember um, a Saints defeat that left me feeling so positive. Well, yeah, and I think on that kind of like positive note, um, if we, as a comparison, think about the fixture at Anfield, so the corresponding yeah. fixture earlier this season... Liverpool didn't even need to get out of um, second gear to beat us 3 0. We know? just rolled, it was that 3 0 at half time, wasn't it? And we just rolled over. Yeah, I, I mean, it was. Um, we were two goals. Yeah, Wesley hit own goal. And then by the 20th minute, we were 2 2 0 down. And then they got their third just before half time. Yeah, Matip scored, didn't they? Yeah, Ma- Matip yeah. scored. And, but, but even after 20 minutes, we were basically dead and buried in that game. And and you look at the difference between Saints back in September and Saints now, um, where we're kind of 
you know, the better side in the majority of the game. You know, right up until pretty much the 80th minute, Saints were the better side. Liverpool were clearly the better side in the last 10 minutes, but I think at that point, Saints felt so deflated having, having you know, conceded that second Liverpool goal that, that we really kind of switched off. Yes, I agree. And I think, um, I think almost like Saints gave so much didn't they? That by the third goal, they just looked like they, they had nothing left. They almost like had nothing left in the tank. Yeah, um, I, I, I think I do, kind of adrenaline keeps you going, doesn't it? You know, it's that hope yeah. kind of gives you some extra impetus or an, some extra strength. And, and once the hope was gone, it was over. But I think Saints can take a lot of credit. Uh, I know that we, we didn't get it on match of the day, but, um, you know, every player, Saints player to the man, played really well. And what players we found, you know, in Valerie, you know, what a transformation in James Ward-Prowse, what a leader there is in Hoiberg. Um, you know, all these players, they can play for Saints for the next, you know, 10 years, um, if we're lucky enough. So we've got real talent. I think it just kind of showed that they're going to give everyone a game. I think you're absolutely right. Like before, we just used to roll over against the big boys. And, I, you know, we were talking on, and we were saying, yeah, I think they would have, I thought they'd have beaten anyone outside the top six, but, you know, other people saying they would have beaten anyone outside the top two um, with that performance. They were so, so good. Yeah, I, I mean, I genuinely do. I think if we'd put in that level of performance against um, any other side in the Premier League, with the exception of Manchester City, we'd have had a really, really good chance of, of winning or at least getting something out of it. Um I suppose it's a bit like you, you look at the big performances that we've put in under Ralph Hasenhutl against the big sides um, and you've got the games against Manchester City uh, we've played and we lost um, although put in quite a good performance you know we beat Arsenal 3-2 we beat Tottenham 2-1 we, we gave Manchester United a really really good game and ended up losing 3-2 you know we gave Liverpool a really really good game and ended up losing 3-1 and, and I, I don't think those kind of six points that you won by beating Tottenham and um, Arsenal um, I, I don't think you know those those points that we've got from that you, you get unless unless you are kind of like really kind of battling and really going for it in those big games uh, John I just you, your phone dropped out and then you called me back yeah. Just so you know that. Yeah, that's okay. I seamlessly covered oh, you, Tom, but now you've uh, pointed that out. <laughs> I'm going to have to edit it out. <laughs> oh, yeah, sorry about that. Yeah, I, th- I think you're right. I think if you get VAR, you, know, you get a bit more, hopefully, you get a bit more equality mm. between um, the, the big boys and, and everyone else. Um, but ultimately, Saints, you, you get the feeling now that with Ralph Hassenhill, Saints are more in charge of, of their own destiny. Um, perhaps at any point since certainly it's probably since any point since Koeman and yes you know there have been some disappointing results West Ham at home Cardiff at home the two that definitely spring to mind but you can't you know for, for players he's got exactly the same group of players that Hughes has he's done incredibly well in fact he's got a few fewer players than, than what he's yeah, had really right. because um yeah. Because no Gabby he's got no Cedric. No, no Wesley Hoot either. No oh, perhaps Hoot. maybe there's an advantage in that. Um, <laughs> as well, I probably do want to pick up on a point that you made just a few moments ago about Ian Valerie. 
is in his first few games in the Premier League, he looked shaky. And you can imagine a manager like Mark Hughes giving that opportunity, seeing the player look shaky and go, no, they're not worth the risk. I'm going to stick with Cedric, who I know isn't quite good enough for the Premier League, but you know, at least you kind of know you know what you're going to get. Valerie is turning into an absolute player. He is yeah. Premier League quality, unquestionably. And and I had my doubts when I first saw him you know, playing. I think that game against Cardiff, he looked totally lost at sea. And and now we're seeing a player who I think could easily grow into being one of the one of the best fullbacks in the Premier League. Yeah, he's he looks just so much more confident. He's also got a real physical strength and a real ability to actually defend, which is we've not really had that in a right back um, for a few years. Because I mean, well, certainly I don't think Cedric's strength is in defending. Um, but he is getting forward. He whips a few deadly balls, um, you know, up against against Liverpool, and he made um, you know his opposing. But the opposite, you know, Trent Alexander Arnold, who's probably one of the best young right backs in the Premier League. You know, if you'd have said which one is the one of the best, you know, the one that everyone's raving about, you'd have said, well, it's the Southampton bloke. Um, you know, so he did so well. And I think, yeah, the, the fans have really responded to him and they want to see these young players. You know, Sims, you know, people just love him, don't they? I do anyway. <laughs> I think I think uh, maybe our like unrequented love for for Josh Sims is uh, maybe maybe more than he deserves. I don't know. Like, but it's it's great to see him in and around the squad again. And you know, he he does have so much pace, and he does cause teams problems. And also, he's positive, isn't he? Like Josh Sims always tries to make something happen. Yeah, you know, like that's what he does, and it doesn't always come off, but he makes things happen. So um, yeah, you know, more Sims, please. Okay, Tom. So let's let's move on uh, from that. I'm afraid that we failed miserably in our kind of match of the day challenge of not mentioning the opposition during the analysis. Um, it's actually incredibly difficult to do. So you know, maybe we should stop kind of moaning about match of the day and say, well, well done. That was probably some sort of challenge, and and they've they've proved themselves to be much greater than us at being able to talk about. Only one team in a in a match which requires two. Yeah, I think we have to be realistic. It went you up against like you know Liverpool and they're chasing the Premier League, and I think a lot of neutrals do want them to win it. Um, then you know you're never going to get mentioned, but it would have been nice to win because then they would have definitely had to mention us. Yeah. Um, well, anyway, ho- hopefully next season we can maybe actually see one of those big performances against Liverpool and Man City ending up in a victory. Um, although I'm sure after that, all the analysis will be on what went wrong for the big side rather than what went right oh, for absolutely. Saints. Anyway, let's stop moaning. Let's try and be positive. I think the, the game is a real marker for how far Saints have come um, under Harsen Hootel. And, and actually, you know, despite our nervy conversations earlier about the upcoming fixtures and, and, and fixture lists, you know, and Cardiff's kind of run in the potential points that they've got. You're right. If we play like we played against Liverpool for the rest of the season, there is no way we can go down. We will definitely be picking up points in some of those games against the middling teams. And, you know, if we pick up a few more points, we'll be absolutely fine. Yeah, I completely agree. I completely agree. It's, and the good thing is it's in our control. Yeah, uh, absolutely. So we've got Wolves next. Um 
How are you feeling about this one, Tom? God, I mean, I do think we owe him one because we the performance under Hughes was, even by Mark Hughes standards, it was really bad when it was 2-0. Um, I don't know. Will they be dejected after something so close to uh, you know, FA Cup glory? Will they be pumped? Because, you know, best of the step, best of the rest. They've got really good players. Um, but we're at home. I do think we can beat them. And yeah. I think, you know, Saints will know if they beat them and Burnley beat Cardiff, then that it's not it, but it's not far off it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it, it's it's really big. I mean, if we can get results against Wolves and Newcastle, the next couple of games, which they they would do a whole load of good for Saints, kind of pushing pushing towards safety. I think Wolves are an interesting side. I think they've got they've got players that can do damage, haven't they? They they've got players that can yes. turn can turn nothing into something. And I think that's that's my biggest fear. I think at some point one of the Wolves players is probably going to score an outstanding goal against Southampton, which means we probably need two or three goals uh, to win the match, which we are capable of. But it does require us to kind of push forward and continue attacking and continue to create chances the whole way through the match, because I I don't think we'll be able to defend a one nil lead against Wolves like we did against Brighton, for example. Yeah, and I also think that. Um, something that seems to be happening under Hasselhoff is Saints play better when they have less of the uh, when they have less of the ball. Yeah. Um, so you know, we we teams that like Liverpool that want to come and, and dominate the ball would love that. Teams where we've kind of played them and they've sort of said, well, you know, you're at home, so go on then, you have a go. We do. We've sort of almost struggled a little bit. You know, Cardiff was a classic example. You know. We, they just said they just gave us the ball, and we kind of panicked with the ball. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I guess there, then that's hopefully the fact that Wolves are a positive attacking side that we'll be able to be able to make the most of it. Yeah, you'd hope so. Um. So Tom, I mean, I, I think we've covered quite a quite a lot here. Do you have um? Anything else that you think we need to we need to bring up on this episode, or or should we be waiting until next week? I think let's wait until next week. Big big game on Saturday, very exciting game. Okay, all right. So we'll we'll leave it at that. Tom Parker's got nothing to add. I've run out of notes on on my my uh, on my kind of uh, iPad, and also I've noticed that we've not had any emails from you in the last week. Um, although we did have quite a few in the week before, so kind of big thanks to Graham, Duncan, Jason, um, all for kind of emailing in Nick as well, and Neil have, have all kind of been in touch. But um, if you do want to get in touch in between now and our next episode, do say saintsfcpodcast at gmail.com. You can also tweet us um, at saintsfcpodcast on Twitter or put your comments into the YouTube comments section if you're watching this on the Ugly Inside YouTube channel. Um, Tom, it's been great to have you on the phone again and talk Saints with you. It's lovely to be back, John. Yeah, pleased to have you back in the country and I hope it's not getting you down too much. Anyway, it's uh, bye-bye from me. Good, it's a good evening from me. See you later. <laughs>